Welcome to Bloom Together, the podcast where we cultivate education leadership, innovation, and impact, one conversation at a time. Join us as we learn from visionary leaders, share inspiring stories, and uncover strategies that drive meaningful change in K-12 education throughout Idaho and beyond. All right, greetings and good day, podcast listeners. I am Mike Caldwell, and you're listening to Bloom Together. And we are out in Middleton, adding another perspective to our series on the science of reading in Idaho schools. We're at uh, Sage Middleton. Joining me is Andy Johnson, Executive Director for Sage International Schools, and Darcy Stelzner. (laughs) How'd I do? Got it. (laughs) Stelzner, principal at Sage Middleton. So, Andy, Darcy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Excited to hear your your perspective on this conversation. We've had some great conversations, as mentioned before we started the, the recording, and I'm looking forward to kind of your angle on this. So, as always, we like to start with a story to kind of set the stage for our conversation today. Andy, you want to start us off a story? Yeah, I I love that you're doing this, Mike, and what a slick intro. Uh, I sure hope we live up to the visionary leader portion. I know we worked awful hard <laughs> out here together. Uh, I guess when I first came out to Sage Middleton back in the fall of 2020, deep in the throes of COVID, I just remember getting my arms around like the scale of the importance of reading, especially at the elementary level. And Darcy's going to talk a little bit about the middle school level, but I was just sitting with a young man. I think he must've been in fourth grade at the time. And he was attempting to do the map, the measures academic progress. It was mathematics. And as I sat with him, I could see that he understood kind of what he was supposed to do, but he couldn't read the prompt. He couldn't read the prompt with a, a level of fluency and accuracy that allowed him to really get after the mathematics i'm like houston we've got a problem yeah and he wasn't the only one and and darcy i think is going to talk a little bit about kind of what she saw yeah so coming in um opening up a middle school first year grades six through eight coming in um i remember the teachers feeling so hopeful and so just open-ended. We can create this middle school however we want to create it. We have this wonderful uh, IB focus that we're going to be looking at. And when our students came, we had eighth graders reading at a second grade level. Um, Our behaviors weren't quite what we were thinking were going to come in. So it was a complete back to the drawing board, square one, yeah. Yeah, it was it was intense. Yeah, I I think that really sets the stage for kind of where we're going today and and how you as you and I talked Andy a, a kind of a call to action this yeah. kind of like oh we need to make some some big shifts some some yeah. big moves here, right? Yeah. Um so we're going to come to that. Before we do that, give a little bit of your background and yeah. each of you and also um tell us about Sage International yeah, totally. and you have a couple different schools now. Talk to us a little bit about your program. Yeah, so my background is, you know, I didn't come to education first. I spent a uh, long career as an Army officer. I started as an enlisted soldier and then got commissioned and spent a long career doing that. Uh, but I'd always weirdly become uh, was sort of interested in schools. I, w- I will tell you, it was that year in Iraq where I did a, a lot of different things with rebuilding police forces. But I was, I was lucky enough to do things with Iraqi schools and had one moment in Iraq where, and I kind of knew I was going to be a teacher after the Army anyway, but meeting with a group of parents' mothers who were... I was essentially evicting them from this property we were developing into a police station. And these ladies were just simply asking me if they could, if I could delay their move. They knew they had to go 
until May so their kids could finish school. I'm like, yikes, school's important. Fast forward several years, I end up at Riverstone International School. I'm running middle and high school boarding program. You know, that group of kids didn't have issues with, with reading, but I knew that reading was important. Like our kids could read before they went to kindergarten. And I knew that, you know, having a sort of a philosophy and approach to reading, especially around the science of reading was important. We didn't necessarily need that here. But as soon as I arrived at Sage and discovered at Middleton, we really did need that. Not at our Boise campus, much longer history, stronger program, getting great results. And we wanted that for our kids out here at Middleton too. And, you know, as Darcy and I looked at that, we saw, gosh, we got a real issue with, with reading out here, not the kids' fault, not the teacher's fault, not the school's fault, but now we got to do something about it. Sure. Yeah. And Darcy, what was your background before joining the, the SAGE team? So I started in education in 2002. So this is my 21st year in education. Um, I started out at a larger, a traditional district in the, in the Treasure Valley and this is my eighth year at Sage International. So in my fifth year here at this school. So I've been here since before we opened, actually. I first got into education because, well, my mom was a teacher. And school was really, really hard for me. I, I'm lucky I graduated high school <laughs> without an extra band class and home ec class. But it was difficult because I didn't have the learning and the education that we do now. I feel like if, we, if I had this type of environment, it would be so much different. Yeah. I got to echo Darcy on that. You know, I grew up in Harrisonville, Missouri. Not, you know, again, good teachers, not a great program, not a lot of expectation or demand. And one of the things that, you know, with reading and talk about the programs we offer, these international baccalaureate programs that we offer at both campuses, you know, 6 through 12, K-12 campuses, which I think are not unique, but rare in schools in general, rare in public schools and rare in Idaho. It's a really unique opportunity to sort of, meet a child when they're five and then see them go through and watch them graduate. And, and last year at this age campus, we had our first ever group, uh, group of kindergartners who, who joined us as kindergartners graduating. And it was super exciting. About 13 of them had stayed with us the whole time. And I know that we have kids that have joined us here in kindergarten and first grade that'll graduate with us. Pretty cool. I mean, it's years. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so, you know, touching on that, the international baccalaureate is it's college preparatory in nature. It really is. It's also it's a lot of other things. And so we know that we have to do a really great job with reading, writing, and mathematics, the foundational skills that kids need to be able to be you know, strong, to be able to engage fully with the programs as they get older. Right. Absolutely. So going back to this story, you've made some significant shifts in the last couple of years to really r- rally the troops, right? And, and getting very serious about reading instruction. So what was the impetus or the catalyst that sparked that shift? What, what kind of was that awakening moment that said, we, we need to really get serious about this? Well, certainly for me, I mean, it was some of the things I, you know, that opening anecdote about the, the boy I was sitting with who was in fourth grade, but there were multiple things like that. And then I do have to say that a group of pretty phenomenal teachers out here, several of whom are still with the school and the network. You know, I would tell you that our current second grade team was here when in the 2021 school year, and they are both phenomenal teachers. And in the, in the depths of all of that sort of chaos of COVID and, you know, recently adopted and the, and the program, the school adopted was Faunus and Pinnell's curriculum, which frankly we knew then, but we really know now wasn't ever going to be the right tool to help our kids get better faster and learn to read our second grade team knew that and frankly so did our third grade team and those two sets of 
teachers, grade level teachers, were sort of the people I gravitated to. Number one, they're just phenomenal people and great teachers, but they were also ready to do something different. And so they sort of formed this core of like, what else can we do? So we started digging into the tools we had. They were willing to try almost anything. And both groups of teachers did see quite a bit of growth that year, despite how far back we had started, despite not having all the tool, the right sorts of tools in place. We used the ones we had as well as we could, dug up ones that were available. And mostly it was building a coalition of teachers and leaders who recognized the scope of the problem and wanted to do something about it. So it was, it was pretty easy then to make a call to action to the rest of the staff about that. Uh, you know, there were places where, you know, we ran into some, you know, friction or why are we doing this? Or I don't quite believe that. But pretty quickly we developed a critical mass of people who said, yeah, we've, these kids have got to learn to read. I mean, the middle school team felt that way. Big chunks of the elementary team felt that way. And, uh, but it took Darcy and I really spent a lot of time, especially around using the right sorts of tools to progress monitor, because that's the way we illuminated the scale of our challenge. And I'm not even going to say problem, I say a challenge, is we started doing progress monitoring every month, which we know is a sort of foundational piece of any good reading program. Yeah. And so we got that going, Darcy. Yeah, I think kind of backing up a little bit before that, I think yeah. what we needed to do, we just had a lot of teacher worry. And, uh, you know, Worried about like what they were seeing in terms of um, progress from the students. Is that kind of what, where their worries were coming from? Absolutely. COVID set aside. Yeah. I mean, this was kind of in that, that time as well, but it was like, oh, we have some issues. Yes. And having the proper tools to deal with the challenges that we're seeing. So before this, we came together as a staff and created essential agreements centered around IB language. And I think that that kind of really gave teachers that jumping off point of, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is big, but yes, we're going to come together and we're going to get through this. I like that you reminded me of that. That was really important. We did a couple of Fridays on that, didn't we? Expand on ex essential agreements. What, do, what What is that? Is that between faculty? Is that, what well, do you uh, mean by that? Can I start real quick, Darcy? Because I want to give you a ton of credit for this. Is There was a strong sense among the staff that we didn't really have a core set of guiding beliefs and, and we didn't have common language that we could then use with children's ch children's listen to me I need to school, <laughs> to, with children and parents about what we believed about education and we wanted them to believe about education so it was really this first sort of step and like being certain in our own minds what i hate to use words like the value propositions what is sure, it we offer yeah. that's different what do we believe in and at the center of that was international baccalaureate so we had a couple of friday days and we spent most of two fridays as a staff developing these essential agreements and you know i want to just give darcy credit you know the team that she led because we broke into little teams those agreements are essentially the ones that darcy and her small team developed and the rest of the staff said we love these and i'll let darcy talk more about them and the way that she's implemented them over the years since we developed them yeah so this can be these are agreements within our our school culture so students to students teachers to students teachers to teachers um example i will take responsibility for my actions so looking at it from we easily can see what that would feel like look like sound like from a student perspective but what does that look like from a teacher perspective I love it so these are kind of just declarations that that you're making as a school saying these are the things that we're going to commit to in our efforts overall as a school not yep. specific just to reading but overall, overall this is what we're going to do at, from a, from a school standpoint because together we, yeah we also recognize that one of the things we really needed and, and I guess we just didn't think about this when we set the school up is when we we pull from multiple districts 
some rural, some suburban, some urban, right? So, sure. you know, the biggest group of kids we have, we've got, we mostly draw right now from Middleton, Star, Caldwell, and Emmett, right? Very different communities, all have their own character and ideas, different traditions in their public schools. We brought them together, and we recognized pretty quickly we needed to be clear about who we were and what we believed. And so what Darcy and, and her team did is they wove in the language of the International Baccalaureate into those essential agreements. They're called the learner profile values. Mm-hmm. And they're things like open-minded, balanced, caring, reflective, knowledgeable, inquiring, risk-taker, and you can see in her essential agreements, and maybe we ought to just read them so the audience can hear them, but they've been pretty good and pretty enduring and people embrace them. Yeah. And you want to read a couple more or, or even it looks like you have yeah, four or five bet. of them there. So uh, I will be caring by showing kindness in my thoughts, words, and actions. I will be principled by always engaging in learning, even when it is hard. I will be a risk taker by always seeking help when I do not understand. I will be knowledgeable when handling difficult situations in a healthy way and I will be reflective by always producing work of which I am proud. So you can see how easily this can be on a teacher as well. We can do the exact same things in our professional development, our learning. Absolutely. And Mike, they do. I was When Darcy's reading, I wasn't even thinking about the kids. I'm just thinking about the way Darcy has been leading the school with her staff and the way that they do this with each other. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it really defines kind of the, the culture and how you're going to go about the work that you're called to do and it it kind of sets that mindset and and that that call to action of like the how this is how we're going to go about doing it and uh i love it that's 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 great um that you articulated that so well and and it's kind of your guide as as you're doing this hard work um that that you're doing so good good for you so you needed to make this big shift um, in addition to these essential agreements and, and you know, in this cadre of, of core teachers that you kind of started with, what were some of the significant action steps that you took to kind of move forward on this effort? I think, you know, we've outlined a couple, right? So we identified the cultural piece, right? That was multiple individual and collective conversations about the need to define who we are and get a handle on behavior and classroom management, right? That was a pretty tough fall and spring during COVID in a brand new school. The second one was a recognition of we don't know enough about what they know. And so we really dug into Moby Max, I think, at the middle school level. We tried to leverage our map data that we were collecting as best we could. And then we started using the iStation IRI as a monthly progress monitoring just to handle them, like where are they at on the skill level, like in phonemic awareness, you know, letter knowledge, that sort of thing. And then just start thinking about, okay, what's the scale of problem? What do we need? What tools out there could we pick? And then I will just throw a shout out to Max Coltiff at Bloom. Max has been an invaluable partner to me personally, but also to the schools that I'm leading and and to the folks out here at, at Middleton. But Max at the same time was talking to our friends over at Mosaics, Anthony Haskett and his team, because they had a similar problem. They recognized what they had picked out out, out of the gates just was utterly inadequate. I think he picked Lucy Calkins for lots of stuff and you know, that's not going to make it either. We know that for sure. And so he was, you know, Max and I and Anthony didn't start talking about foundations because we all were looking for something that was lower lift, didn't require a ton of PD. And frankly, you know, we had all made the determination, like, look, the science of reading is pretty settled. Like, we don't need to use a ton of our creativity to make this up. We didn't want to be all over teachers pay teachers. We didn't want to do all that. Like, we wanted something that we could hand to teachers. Yes, there's a little bit of a lift learning how to use it. And we discovered that. But it was really about what is the lowest lift, highest effect, effectiveness program that we can get into without dropping $100,000 this fall? Like, we just didn't have that kind of cash, and I don't think 
probably Anthony did probably many schools do who does this, right once yeah. you get into the budgeted year right absolutely and so we picked foundations and uh, and I would say you know once we got going with it we started seeing a lot of success I'll let Darcy talk more about that because our team as they used it more they recognized okay there's some more gaps here let's add this tool let's do this and I think you know as we get into it one of the things I'm most pleased slash proud of at the network now is that and a shout out to the state for maintaining this and supporting this program is the smart reading program the state department of education has sort of launched and and committed to i think we have almost every k3 teacher at both schools either in year one or year two of that program including me and in fact i got invited to teach a lesson a reading lesson in second grade and kindergarten at the boys campus now that they know <laughs> i'm doing but i love that they invited me it's you know it's it'll be a good exercise for me how confident are you in and going in there and teaching uh, I'll be a lot more confident once I see what they want me to teach and I make sure they coach me before I go in. It'll be a great opportunity. They'll get to coach me. I'll get to learn. And then I fully expect they'll give me a, a good critique on that and I'll learn more about reading and, and hopefully it will make me a, a better leader for them and a better coach and better partner. So we'll see. I'm excited about it. I honestly don't think there's anything more important than teaching reading in kinder through third grade in any school in America. Yeah, frankly. Agreed. It opens up everything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, so kind to help also leverage that, we had our secondary teachers who happened to have just one extra block of time during the day. So we opened that up for them to come down K-5 to sit with a reading group. So they had their reading group, they had their kids. So it was a really great way to, everybody's a reading teacher, right? It doesn't matter what subject you teach, everybody is responsible for the growth that our school has. So when the middle school teachers were able to come down and help the literacy in the k-5 it just helps to to bring our school together i want to throw a shout out to to our partners at teach for america we have had a great partnership with them and it's not all that common that teachers with lots of experience want to come to a brand new school and so we've been really lucky to get really good people from teach for america who've been a big part of the school success as well and in a couple of cases have gone on to leadership positions within the network. So, you know, one of our first Teach for America candidates is now the school or the network's sort of outdoor education leader. And then another TFA alum is Darcy's elementary director. And then, you know, we've had several rotate in and out, but I just think about that early effort that you put together to, you know, flex the middle school teachers down for reading groups. And two or three of them were from Teach for America and just dove right in. And it was a, cool team effort to make this a whole school effort elaborate a little bit on the the tfa the teach for america program how long have you been involved in it and and what does that what does that partnership look like at sage it's been five years right so megan joined us year one so i guess we've we've had teach for america people in the school for five straight years now and uh, is it a two-year commitment mm -hmm. that they make and then mm -hmm. do you have the option to offer them a contract after that totally yeah, Darcy, if you want to talk more about that, but we've had some just phenomenal people. I've just stopped down and saw uh, Zach Mega and his Individuals and Society's History Social Studies course for the middle school and watching his growth as a teacher, his excitement about what he's teaching this year is, is phenomenal. And Kate Riberty over also in the middle school, watching her growth from last year to this year. I mean, just Darcy has, you know, we touch back on those essential agreements. She's created a community where people are not afraid to try and, try again and just to be relentlessly positive and know that they'll get better. They've just gotten incredible support from Darcy out here. Yeah. 
What's your in your experience been with the Teach for America program, Darcy? Yeah, it's been wonderful. They are such a great partner. One thing that I really appreciate about the Teach for America is that they also have mentorship outside of the school, and it's pretty phenomenal mentorship. Uh, their their philosophy and ours really go hand in hand. They're using Teach Like a Champion. That's one of our pillar books that we use for PD. Um, and uh, they come in here monthly. I'm able to meet with them after they meet with their their uh, core members. So it's it's been a great partnership. Very cool. Um, completely forgot the question I, I was going <laughs> to ask. That's, that's my fault, Mike. I took off on a teacher. <laughs> I really was going somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely lost it, but that's okay. I'm curious, um, Andy, your background with, with the Army, how much of that is translating over as we talk about kind of that, the catalyst moment and making a move and rallying the troops. And, you know, this is very... Uh, militaristic kind of language maybe how much of this i mean translates from your from your days of you know leading a school and versus you know your your experience in the army yeah i mean they are obviously different right but it, the thing that i always tell people is working in schools particularly the ones that i've worked in you know riverstone previously great people great school great mission uh but it's not a public school after long time there and had a lot of fun some of my best friends still work there i and i felt this call to come to public schools got lucky enough to get picked up for this particular job but i tell you you know it's it's mission driven work with purpose driven people and that's the army that's schools and you know you're in a great place when people actually share that belief right when the mission sits at the center of what we do and i would tell you the sage network of schools has a phenomenal mission i had nothing to do with developing it but i love that mission talks about an inclusive IB learning community. Incredible. But touching back on your question, I go right back to that year in Iraq. I mean, that came late in my career, but it was pretty, you know, it was sort of like, it was a, I'm not gonna lie, we're not gonna talk about it today. You know, super violent, really tough year. Also did some amazing things, right? And I think when I think about the work Darcy and I have done and, and Darcy has done with her team and like sort of like making sense of how we run a, a really effective school and be clear about our mission, clear about the people we care about, the people who uh, that come to our schools, these families. Uh, I think about the work, you know, because I was responsible for rebuilding the whole branch of Iraqi police, and it, we did lots of different things, but eventually it, it dawned on me that we were never really going to move that organization forward unless we had our own training academy, right? So I'd made this decision with the support of my brigade commander, that we're going to set up our own police academy, its own curriculum, its own. And I was going to make it Iraqi-led from the get-go. Uh, and it was a huge lift. And I, I think I learned more, and I'm not saying I'm good at this, I just say I learned a lot about what would go well and poorly in terms of that call to action, getting partners on board. Because I, I had to convince my Iraqi partners it was a good idea. I had to con convince the General Petraeus' staff it was a good idea. I had to convince these uh, American civilian police advisors who oftentimes were either retired police officers or people who had taken leave of absence from local police forces, who all good people weren't entirely convinced the Iraqis could do this themselves. But the whole point of it was we had to believe in the Iraqis because it was their country. Most of them really didn't want us there, and they wanted to do it themselves, and of course they were capable of doing it themselves. Sure. Uh, but I think I learned a ton, and that was obviously a very difficult environment to pull that off. And, you know, we built a little police academy. Uh, I won't lie to you, the most, most of what we could do is teach them to shoot a pistol, uh, make sure they could jump out of a truck and hide behind a wall and shoot back. Uh, but that's what we needed in Iraq at that time. 
and a lot of brave men and a, a couple of women uh, that still wasn't super common joined up and said yes, and we did our best with them. And, uh, you know, but I learned a lot about pulling people together, being really clear about what the vision was and why it was important. And, you know, I don't know if I did that super perfectly at Sage Middleton, but I felt like we did a pretty good job. To, and we did it together, right? Like it, but it took us all kind of standing up front saying like, we know these kids need it and making that clear to everyone. Like we know the kids need it. Right. And I think, um, Darcy, you know, wh when you talked about, you know, the getting, getting your, all your K-5 teachers, like you're all reading teachers, right? I mean, and getting everybody kind of rallied around, around this. It's not just these teachers that are responsible for it during these times. It's like, no, this is a, this is a big enough endeavor and it's important enough and or the most important thing that we need everybody moving in this direction and everybody contributing to it right and i think kind of andy what i've what you've shared with me and what has helped from your past is you always, you always say uh, mission first people always and so that's something that we always have to yeah, there's some like, good yeah. sound bites here yeah, i love that so keep going sorry i love that no that's it i mean just like when whatever decision we make teachers are important students are important parents are important like that is the first like we always have to consider that absolutely mission first people always love it andy johnson <laughs> <laughs> love it um okay so where are you now in the current war the battle with 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 your reading and, and and your work that you're doing um where are you now and what's coming up i have to i will just throw a plug in i think we're i'm not gonna say we won i don't think you ever win there's no winning in this fight right or whatever we're gonna call it the struggle <laughs> this you know this effort whatever we're gonna call it but i think we are winning we are seeing some some small and important successes and and some some big successes right and you know this is a thing I shared with both you and Darcy because I started to nerd out on data, but like just take the current kids who are now in fourth grade at Sage Middleton. They join the school's kindergartners. This is a, this is the group that's going to walk across graduation stage one day, right? They started with us in kindergarten. Their kindergarten year was short, right? We opened school almost a month late and we, because of construction, and then we shut it down a couple months early. So they got really not much of a kindergarten year. We really don't know what they learned about reading that year. There were some of them that seemed like they were on pretty good track, but we just, we just don't know, right? I can tell you, though, by the end of their first grade year, only about 50% of them, as measured by the IRI, were at grade level. Full 30% of them were not even approaching grade level. And then there was a sliver in the middle that was approaching it, right? So big, big chunk of kids not ready for second grade in terms of reading. They arrive in Dahlia and Johanna's classroom. Huge growth in their second grade year. Huge growth partly for the things that Darcy's done, right? Reorganized reading groups, reorganized when we teach reading, onboarded foundations, really looked hard at progress monitoring, hired a phenomenal uh, reading specialist, and Heather Love came to us from West Ada, an amazing uh, collaborator and thinker about this and great partner for us. Uh, by the end of their third grade year, 73% of them were at grade level. So almost 25% of them have got, come up the numbers of kids, and I didn't parse this out to see who had joined later or whatever, but, you know, let's say 10, 11% of them now finished third grade in tier three. We're not happy about that. We're still working on it. We know that about 90% of kids can learn to read at grade level. We're, that's what our aspirational goal is. We don't write that on a piece of paper. But, you know, that's huge growth, and that's testament to, like, everything we've tried, right? Building a culture of reading, 
being clear about what we believe about reading, getting the right people in into the building. I hate saying building. I just said it into the school. <laughs> and making sure that when new people come to us, we tell them, like, this is what we believe. This is what we're driving on to. We're IB school. We believe in the science of reading. And we kind of make people raise their hand and say, I, I'm in for that. Like, we don't want it to be a surprise. It's sort of that point of sale. Like, this is who we are. This is what we offer. This is what we believe. If that's for you, come on board. And I think Darcy can talk about, we now have people reaching out to us at hiring season saying, do you have positions open? Like, people are getting the word. Like, that's Sage awesome. International School Middleton is a darn good school. And I know that I'm the executive director, but I truly mean that. And it's because of the leadership of Darcy and her team and everything they've done over the last two, three years has been phenomenal. Like building a world-class college preparatory international baccalaureate school in Middleton, Idaho for kids from rural Idaho. Big deal. So Darcy, what do you see as, as you look ahead, you know, in the, in the coming years or even months for that matter, what are some of the the big rocks or, you know, big battles ahead or, or maybe even, the, maybe they're not big, maybe the, the small ones, things that you're, you're kind of shoring up or working on or, or wanting to improve? Um, yeah, so writing is one of our, our big goals this year for our, actually our network. And so what we're doing at the secondary level is we are going to vertically align. So what does it look like to be able to write X kind of essay in sixth grade? What should that look like in 10th grade? Mm-hmm. That's one of the big things we're working on. Um, The second thing is uh, we are creating a really purposeful RTI program for our middle school. So making sure that those those kiddos who are approaching grade level keep going, that they don't fall off and we don't miss them. Thank you. Um, I have zero doubt that you guys are going to crush it on, on that as well. So if you could kind of boil down some of the things that you feel like you've learned in your progress over the last few years since you kind of had that call to action moment boil it down to maybe the three to five most important things that you felt were really the keys to get from where you were to where you are today maybe we should break this down to sort of like from kind of like the superintendent or district level leadership and then also down to school level leadership and i'll talk about at the superintendent level the charter administrator level. I just think it's, and if there's anybody out there listening to me right now, they're going to you know think to themselves, yeah, that's no kidding. That's what you should do. I just think it's really important for superintendents and charter administrators to be very clear about what's most important, right? There are a lot of important things in schools every day, but I think it's really, you got to be really, really clear. And I, again, I'm not saying I've done this perfectly and I've got room to improve, but I feel like I've been super clear that my number one priority is K3 reading. Like we're not going to do anything else really well unless we can do that. If we don't have strong readers leaving third grade, then we're not going to have a strong diploma or career related program in 11th, 12th grade. And we're gonna have kids that get frustrated through middle school and use that as an excuse to look for something else. We want every kid that comes here in kindergarten to feel like they have a home until 12th grade. So I think being really clear about your priorities and saying that this is our most important thing, this is our next most, and this is our third most. If it doesn't meet one of those priorities, it's important, but I, I can't and you shouldn't spend a ton of brain power on it unless you think you've got the first three locked down. Yeah, That would be one thing I'd say. The second is... You know, at the superintendent level, you got to really work hard. And, and this is also a no-brainer, but you've got to have a great CFO or finance person, 
right? And I'm really lucky. We're really lucky to have one in Emily Downey who is not only a CPA, but she really gets schools and she loves schools. She's a great partner, a great teammate, but she works relentlessly to help Darcy and I and, 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 and me and the team at Boise make sure that we can meet our goals, you know, that we set aside the right sort of budget pockets, make sure we husband our resources in the right places so that we can do the most important things. Mm -hmm. I'd say that's critical, you know, for superintendents. If they don't have a a CFO that is actively helping them do that, I kind of submit they should probably find a different CFO. We're super lucky to have one that is an incredible partner and a true believer in education and, and just works relentlessly hard to make sure we have what we need to do what we do. And then probably the third one is uh, as hard as it is. And I'm like, I've got two schools they are 35 miles apart. So it's easy for me to say, and if I were in a much bigger district, it would be harder, but you really have to, uh, it's just me be at the point of friction. Where am I needed most today? And you can't know that if you're sitting on email, you have to be in schools, stopping by classrooms and trying to take a knee and listen to a teacher in the middle of the day. Like, I truly believe that as a, at the superintendent level. If you're not doing that pretty regularly, you're, gonna, you're probably going to miss the pulse because the pulse is not on email, and it's typically not in meetings. Yeah. Anyway. I love it. I don't want to sound critical. It's just like we all get drug into that, and we all have to do it. But I think those three things for me are probably most important. What about you, Darcy? Yeah, so I think at the school level, um, we know how hard our teachers work. They're amazing people. So it's my job to remove those barriers so that they can teach. They can go in there and they can deliver the best prepared and planned lessons that they can. Remove barriers so they have time to adequately grade, provide feedback, those sorts of key deals. Um, Something that I love about our network is we do have Fridays for professional development. It's also my job to plan professional development based on what I'm seeing in the classrooms. So just providing that support for teachers so they can do what they do best. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing your journey and your your experience and just openly sharing that to whoever's listening out there because I think there's a lot that you guys can um, can provide others that are out there listening and maybe going through the same thing that you were going through a few years ago and saying, where do we go and how do we move? And, and you certainly gave a nice overview of the path that you took to get where you are today. Well, thank you again, Andy and Darcy, for being our guests today. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining our conversation on the science of reading in Idaho schools. As we continue this effort, be sure to tune in and listen to our future um, episodes as we ask more questions about what schools are doing and what is is making them successful. So again, thanks, Andy. Thanks, Darcy, for being part of our series. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for joining us to explore education leadership, innovation, and impact here on Bloom Together. We encourage you to continue these dialogues in your communities, classrooms, and organizations. Be sure to visit bloom.org together where you can discover more episodes or click join the conversation if you'd like to be a guest. Until next time, keep learning, keep blooming, and keep making an impact one conversation at a time.